big idea, but so young. It will never work. Zero experience. We'll see. Join me for today's exciting discussion as we chat with Katie Diosti, CEO and founder of Viv and Forbes 30 Under 30 winner. The company that started out of her dorm room as a class project is now in over 2,000 retail doors, including Wegmans and CVS. Katie, welcome to the show, and I'm excited to dive in to see how you took it from zero to one. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk more about starting Viv. Absolutely. So first thing we do when you're on the show is basically I give you the floor for about 60 seconds to introduce yourself, where you founded the company, and really what Viv is, like fill our listeners in and, and why they should keep listening. Yeah. Okay. I love it. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Diosti. I'm the founder and CEO of Viv Period Care. We are a toxin-free and sustainable period care brand, really looking to have a modern approach to menstrual health. We want to make periods more approachable and more accessible and not only better for you, but better for the earth. And so we do that with our product line of both reusable period care, like our Viv menstrual cups and biodegradable products like our Viv bamboo pads that are completely plastic free and organic cotton tampons. And as you mentioned, you can find us in some retail locations too. So we're an omni-channel brand sold both direct to consumer and in retail stores as well. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I think this topic absolutely needs to be addressed way more. Uh, and I'm fascinated too, because well, one, you're a female founder, probably some odds stacked against us, as I know as well. Um, and then two, you know, the investor world is dominated by men. So I'm fascinated to hear, because I know you've raised probably over a million dollars at this point, um, like what the reaction when you were trying to invest was just simply because a lot of the investors are very uneducated. Yes. Oh my gosh. It really did feel like I was teaching a course sometimes when when pitching investors on this peer care space, which was honestly really awesome to be able to be kind of the expert in the room and be the educator. I think with fundraising, so much is around storytelling and making people understand the problem and how large of a problem and how big of a market it is. And we have a variety of investors, but we do actually have a lot of, of male investors um, that just believed in us and believed in the team really early on. And we were raising our pre-seed rounds, which was really amazing to see. But I think you have to make people meet people where they are and make them understand it in their exact language. And a lot of investors read things in dollar signs. And so we wanted to compare it to personal care brands like a Dollar Shave Club that they might be more familiar with and maybe more comfortable with talking about. And so I remember when early, early days of pitching Viv, I was like, we're making the period care version of Dollar Shave Club. And that was something that sparked so much excitement and, and interest with just something like comparing it to a brand they know, um, which is so simple. And then going in deeper and showing how big the problem is, how much plastic waste is really in period care, the toxins in the space and like showing your own passion to investors, I think goes way longer than I assumed it would. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing I wholeheartedly agree with is the passion, especially at the pre-seed stage, even seed, I would argue, is really what gets you uh, the investment. I mean, people want to make sure you're going to stick around when things get tough, you're going to be there. And that really it's a problem that you felt and you want to solve yourself. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I know, because especially in the early days, 
they're really betting on you. They're betting on the founder, they're betting on the founding team. They want to see the business plan, what you're going to build. But I remember my first pre-seed round, we were, we were basically pitching an idea on paper and we had sold some by then and had a little, little bit of traction, but in the grand scheme of things was nothing compared to even where we're at now and where we were going. And so it's really being able to show that vision and show that you're not going to quit. Absolutely. So Katie, for all our listeners out there, me as well, um, do you want to walk us through the timeline of the business? Like when was it really started? Where were you in life? Uh, and then how did you get to where you are now? So like, give us some milestones. Ooh, yeah. Fun. Okay. So the concept really originated and the idea was put on paper first. Um, my senior year of college, I graduated from Boston College in 2019. So the fall of my senior year, I took a um, entrepreneurial marketing class and the class was very startup-y. It was basically find a problem, come up with a solution for it. Like as basic as you can get with coming up with a pitch for a company idea. And this was a whole semester long project. And so I was so excited about this. I just always loved like businesses and, and brands. And I was studying in the business school, but was also studying social impact. And I loved mission driven brands. And especially like between the time I was in college, like 2015 to 2019, there was so much changing in both the like brand climate and the marketing climate, but also the political climate. And so mission-driven brands became like so much more important and brands that were speaking up for, for individuals were really groundbreaking at the time. And now I think that's starting to become the bare minimum. Um, so that's something I always wanted to create was a mission-driven brand. And so found this as my opportunity to do so. And I remember being really excited about the hygiene space. And I wanted to rewrite the way the beauty industry and the hygiene industry spoke to women. I think in the past, they would always thrive off our insecurities. You needed this cream to reduce your wrinkles or to fix this problem with yourself. And it's like, okay, maybe there's not a problem with you. Maybe you just deserve better as a consumer and rewriting the way that they really just gained profit off of our own insecurities. And I know Gen Z has, was starting to see through that and was demanding better from brands. So I was like, okay, who better than Gen Z ourselves to create a brand that we actually want? And especially then, they're pretty much just dinosaurs in the aisle in the period care section. But started off with like big picture, looking at everything in the hygiene space, like, okay, what needs innovation? Where is their white space? And where could a Gen Z tone and voice and innovation in this category like really go a long way. And I started to learn more about like the toxins in period care and how much plastic waste was involved. And of course, like, periods are so intersectional, which is so interesting. Like there's the menstrual equity side of things, like who even has access to period care? Why are there these crazy chemicals in them? There's the sustainability component. There's so much around like stigma. So that just sparked like a whole new passion for me. And part of my job at, the, when I was at Boston College, I was a president of a student organization that would bring free period. Um, well, one of my jobs as the president of this organization that I created an initiative to bring free period care to the bathrooms on campus. And I was like, that was my like, big thing my senior year as one of the co-presidents. And I was so excited about it. Um, and I think that class and this whole thing like sparked so much passion. Um, and I was also volunteering at a women's shelter in Boston at the time. And part of my role was like distributing pads. So I learned a lot of just like being so adjacent to this space. 
um, and then built the idea on paper throughout the semester and gave my final, which was a pitch and like should have been done on winter break going into my senior spring, like chilling after that. But my my professor who's amazing. Um, she brought in a couple of judges from like her startup community um, as a founder herself. And I remember they were giving us tons of feedback and asking questions. And I was like feverishly taking notes after like what asking follow up questions, like wanting more feedback because you just have this sense in you when you're building something that you care about so much that like, okay, I'm not done with this. Like, I want to continue this no matter what it meant. I was like, I'm not getting a grade on this anymore. Like, why would I still care? But I just did. Um, so from then, ended up applying to a accelerator program just through my university. And so I remember spending Thursday nights late um, working on meeting with our, our accelerator groups and working on product market fit and like our pitch deck and all learning all of the basics of entrepreneurship and all my friends are like out at the bars as seniors on a wild Thursday night. Yep. And I was like doing whiteboarding sessions. There you <laughs> go. Just, so it was a BC accelerator then like Boston College's accelerator. Yes. Yep. They have an, an entrepreneurship center called the Shea Center. And so we, I just I did that during my senior spring um, and it came one of my favorite things I ended up doing in college, despite it being my last semester. Uh, which is so wild. Like it's never too late to start something new in, in a university setting. And it's such a great place to start building a business. And, and I'm sure you feel this way too. It's like, there's so many people that are excited to help you and you can really go to so many different kinds of people. I um, would go to like the science department and ask a, a material science professor about like different fibers that are better used for period care, which helped me learn more about like bamboo fiber and, and why like bamboo is such a great alternative for pads. But then I would go to my old marketing research professors and say like, Hey, can you help me build out this like really great survey that I want to send out to learn more about like why people buy certain tampons. And everyone was just like, Oh, you're just doing this to do it just to learn. And they're so excited about that. Like it's, it's one of those places that really spark like curiosity and learning. So a great place to start building a business. I feel like too, with like colleges and universities, like you get there and you're think you're going to, you think you're going to learn so much from the classroom and then you're sitting in lecture and you're like, Ooh, this is boring. I could also skip this because no one knows if I'm here or not. Uh, and like, it's just so out of touch with what's actually going on in the world. Like I remember my statistics class and literally my professor was just teaching us hacks on the calculator. And I'm like, one, I'm never going to use this again, but really what am I learning here? <laughs> uh, like nothing. Um, and so for me, and I think Northeastern's a big believer in this, like we want hands-on learning. And really the way you get that experience is getting a job. So at Northeastern, they like you, they have the co-op program. Like you get to go work for someone else. You don't have to go to school. But for me, and I think you might've felt this way too, like I was in business classes. So I was doing theoretical business plans and models, uh, inventing fake products that would never exist again. And I was like, that's such a waste of my time. Like, let's make this real. And I also started using those classes to build Mount and leverage that. <laughs> Isn't it so funny to think about, I always think about like my financial accounting classes or um, just like even basic finance and how we were working on like P&Ls and balance sheets. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm doing our balance sheets for Viv. And I really could use like that class right now to remind me how to do this one thing. Or um, it would have been so great to apply that to something so real in my life. Um, but instead it felt like 
so annoying to learn in the moment because it wasn't placed into something like truly tangible that I was personally passionate about. Yeah. No, it was so forced. And my financial accounting class happened my first semester freshman year. So I really was a fish out of water. I'm like, there is just no reason to be doing this. <laughs> yeah, they really threw me in the deep end there. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Mine was a little later than that. Um, so I know you had this class uh, and that's kind of what sparked Viv and, and taking it further. Did you go into that class knowing, or maybe you knew sooner, you know, like that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or kind of it happened? Oh my God. I had no idea I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I had a full-time job lined up like fall of my senior year um, to start when I graduated, which like spoiler, never actually ended up going to that job. <laughs> ended up building the full-time instead. Like, that was a whole like dramatic feat of reneging that job offer. And, and I pushed my start date back like three times because I was like, I just want to see how this goes. I was setting like different metrics for myself to hit um, before fully reneging that job offer. But I went in being like the first job offer I could get, I signed because I was in, in the business school around all these like finance consulting students who have their job the summer before they even get to their senior year. And I came in and I was like, oh my God, everyone has a job before the school year starts. Like, crap, I better get a move on. And I have to say, I am so thankful I did not go to that job. Um, was it a consulting type job? Not in consulting. So I was in marketing concentration and it wasn't directly in marketing, but it was um, not like the traditional like finance consulting world. It was for a large e-commerce company in the Boston area. Um, and I was going to be like a buyer. Um, and it would have been fine. It would have been an okay stepping stone. I don't, I think I would have been one number in a giant company and not be making the kind of impact that like I would have wanted to make. And it's just signed it because it was the first job I got and was like, okay, this is decent. Like, let's go check box, check senior year, chill in. Like that was kind of the mindset, which you don't want to feel rushed when you're like, literally deciding your next path in life and your career. Um, but I felt so yes. rushed just from the, the pressure of, of peers. And I think a lot of college students feel that way. It's like, what are you supposed to tell someone when they ask you what you weren't doing next? And if as soon, if you can have an answer sooner rather than later, that felt just like a weight off your shoulders. And I'm, I'm really glad I ended up finding, finding Viv instead. And being able to continue to build something I actually cared about and felt like I was learning a lot more from. Um, I think a lot of people can value two different things. Like you can either need to value stability and like having that, that steady income and having the health insurance and those basic needs that come with a consulting job. And that is so important where you can really have the opportunity to value like learning and growing in a way that's really uncomfortable and really difficult and really unstable at first. But I think the the payoff at the end is so much greater. Um, and that's something that I felt really lucky to have the opportunity to learn from and, and choose that path instead and did so in a more calculated way. Like after I graduated, I went home to back to Florida where I grew up for like three days and then went back up to Boston to jump into a new accelerator program, um, which is SSC Venture Partners, which was a group of Boston College alumni that came together to start a fund and an accelerator. And that was such a transformative summer for me. I grew a lot um, because that's when I was like, okay, this was an idea on paper. 
and something I was exploring in school for my senior year. And now it's not just a class project that I happen to still be working on. Now this is real. And I was looking for manufacturers, like taking it from zero to one is a whole other beast that I think a lot of people don't realize. And like digging through like FDA documents to find the right manufacturers to even talk to. It's like those things that people are like, how do I start? I, that's where I get the most questions because I still don't know exactly how I ended up stumbling upon meeting this person who introduced me to another person and the web goes on and on. And you just have to keep asking questions and putting yourself out there. Um, but did that accelerator program and got to the end and, and had my demo day. And I still had that full-time job lined up to start in the demo day was end of August, um, of 2019. My start date was supposed to be October of 2019. Um, so I was like, okay, this is looming. I still had that kind of like safety net of a job starting in the fall, um, which was kind of a lot of people were like waiting to start their jobs in the fall anyway. So it seemed like you're almost doing extra credit in the summer. And then I was like, but I'm spending more than full-time hours working on this. So I'm like, how am I supposed to do both? And uh, we ended up launching pre-orders the first week of October. And I said, okay, if I can sell this many pre-orders, then I'll let myself renege push my job offer back or renege my job offer. And we like surpassed that number I gave myself by quite a bit. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna push it off till January. So I called them, push it off. It was no problem. They were like, sure. I was like, wow, that was easy. Um, I keep chugging along, growing the business, spending every weekend working on it. Like those early days, like I'm sure you relate to this too, or it's like, it's also so much more glorified then to work. Oh yeah, I mean, every win felt huge. I remember Mount getting our first customer and it was just like someone that said, yes, random didn't know me. Like I had just reached out and they said yes. And I was like, cool, I'm booking my flight. I'm gonna come meet you. Like we're gonna get this done. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I remember running upstairs because it was during COVID. So I was, I was working in our basement and I ran upstairs and was like, mom, this is real. Someone's going to buy my, my product. Oh my God. No, it's true. It's like you sit there and you're building this thing in your head and it's, it feels like kind of like your child and you're like, oh my God, someone cares. That's not just me. Like that's insane. Like I still, to this day, people that I meet, if I don't have a connection to them and they've heard of Viv, I'm like, oh my God, really? And like mathematically speaking, based like on our sales or distribution, that would make sense. Like we're doing the marketing efforts to ensure that some people know Viv and obviously we're continuing to do those efforts, but it still blows my mind that I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so many people that are buying Viv products and I don't know them personally. It's not my friend who's ordering because she's like, Katie's busting her ass working in every night till 2 a.m. So I should better buy her pads. Like, no, it's people who are also excited, which is that's so the best cool. feeling ever. Um, yeah, it's really I mean, cool. when you look at the space, it makes sense because in the, the period space, there really just isn't a brand, especially one that has a mission and is sustainable and like, you know, stands for something. It's more just like, you know, my mom told me to buy this one. So this is the one I'm buying type of deal. Right. Right. And it's like there had been so few creating community and like truly educating young people and like speaking to them in the way they actually want to be spoken to. And that's something we've really leaned into, especially in the past year or so. It's and it's showing what's working, right? Like we're leaning into what's working. And for us, we do a lot on TikTok and our most educational videos are what performs the best. And it's because people yeah, I was going to ask about TikTok because, uh, yeah. you know, Gen Z 
seems ripe for it. Like, is that where you do a majority of your business is TikTok? Yes, it's a lot of where we gain new customers, new followers, and where it's our, it's our biggest acquisition channel for direct-to-consumer, for sure. Um, what we do on TikTok is really think of Viv as like an older sister or this person you look up to and have a really like non-judgmental voice on there. And we have had quite a few videos go viral around our menstrual cup and like just basic education, like how to insert a menstrual cup, how to remove it. And one of our most viral videos on TikTok is simply how to insert a tampon. Just as simple as that as over 4 million views and we get tens of thousands of comments and we get so many comments and DMs and emails every single day asking questions just about and the young people asking questions about their bodies. So it could be asking about what kind of tampon to use, how to remove it, really specific things around product. But now we're getting questions about like what to expect when getting your first period. And now it's going past period care even. And we're getting questions like, I want to shave my legs for the first time. How do I talk to my mom about this? And we're so honored that these young people are coming to us as a trusted source. And I think that's so rare for brands to be trusted, even especially today and especially on TikTok, that young people are going to a brand and, and thinking of it as like a trusted source that you can ask like, these really intimate personal questions to, um, which is so amazing to see one, like Gen Z's openness, and, like willingness to ask and learn. Um, but we want to be like not only a really high quality education source, because there's a lot of misinformation around, out there around our bodies and around periods and just in general on the internet. And so how can we sure we're providing really high quality content that's also very educational, but also empowering and approachable. We don't want to just launch things because it's shock factor and it'll get views and make us go viral and people will watch because it's like, oh my gosh, like we want to launch things that are intentional and that provide like good value to our customers. And even if that's someone who might has might not have bought in any of the products yet, but has followed the journey and follow us because while they're learning, like we want to be the modern day health education. I think we can all think back to our health classes from middle school and and whatnot and how painfully uncomfortable they felt and how they like separate you. And it's like one room of girls, one room of boys. And I remember in my health class, I was specifically one person asked like, what do you do when you need to change a powder tampon and go to the bathroom? And the teacher specifically said, oh yeah, I recommend you like tuck a tampon or pad up your sleeve and hide it when you're walking to the bathroom. And so we're hearing as like very young, impressionable kids learning about this like crazy thing that's happening to our bodies for the first time. And we're being told by someone we look up to every single day that this is something that you should hide and you should not. Let yeah. And that it's embarrassing and you shouldn't tell anyone it's happening. Yeah. I mean, I remember specifically for me in middle school, my health class was like the class I tried to skip and dread because it was just <laughs> that uncomfortable and awkward because they just didn't know how to handle any of this. And it's hilarious that you use that as an example, because that's exactly what I used to do when I was younger. <laughs> I would stuff it right on my sleeve and just like discreetly walk to the bathroom because it was the most embarrassing thing I'd ever encountered. We, we all did. And, and I think some people still do. And I was just having this conversation with one of my friends and I was like, yeah, I was walking. I was in at work as a full blown adult. Like, obviously I have a period. I'm an adult woman. And I, 
was walking in the bathroom and I thought it, I had my tampon and I was like, do I put this up my sleeve? Is this an unprofessional thing to like walk to the bathroom with a tampon? And she was like, that is so crazy that I was like questioning whether it was professional to have a tampon in my hand. Like, how would that yeah. be unprofessional to like be taking care of your body? Like when something so naturally is happening to you. It's so, it's crazy. It's so I mean, the workforce is definitely still male dominated. And I would argue that they are also very uneducated when it comes to this topic, partly because they did split us into two rooms and we got educated on one thing improperly. And they also got educated on other things improperly. And there was no crossover. It's, you know, they were told to, you know, educate on the period being gross and weird and just don't ask about it. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, that's a gross thing. Don't ask about it, which is, it's so interesting. And I, I think that's, what I'm most excited about is, okay, like if you can't trust or feel comfortable in the classroom or, or where traditional health education usually occurs, how do we meet young people where they are and, and create health education um, that's easy for them to digest and that they're comfortable and excited to learn about? And that's very much what we're doing on TikTok. And it's allowed us to have that loyalty and that trust and excitement around the brand and just gain some more awareness. And now for us, it's like, okay, if we have these young people who are growing up and needing period care and going into the store, whether it's with a parent or by themselves down the line, and then they eventually find Viv on shelf, they know like that's the brand that taught me how to use a tampon. Absolutely. I could see you guys taking over the world very soon, just simply because you are (laughs) really the ones educating the masses right now, but in a way that's so thoughtful and absolutely needed. Um, I guess to that point, how big has Viv become? Because it sounds like you guys have a massive community. Oh my gosh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's been exciting. We, in terms of of impressions and community, we're definitely growing a ton. I mean, on TikTok, we think we have a little over fifty k followers, and in our Instagram community, it's it's definitely growing a lot as well. But um, in terms of impressions, it's it's been in, in quite the millions, which is always nice to see. But what we're excited about is our distribution and like our door count. And right now we're in about 2000 doors, but projecting it to be in a lot more by the end of 2024 with some upcoming retail launches that we're really excited about. Um, so a lot more to come there. I love that. Yeah. What, so yeah, actually good segue there. Um, what's on the horizon for you guys? Like, are you raising again soon? Also, I guess I preface that with like, is there anything I can help you with uh, on your journey? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, for sure. Yeah, I we are raising right now. So in the past, we've raised just about a million to date for in terms of pre-seed capital, some before launching and, and a little bit right after launching to help with some of our retail growth. And um, we've stayed really scrappy and, and have been able to surpass just what we've raised in terms of growth thus far. And so we're excited to be raising our seed round now. We've just kicked off actually this week. Uh, so now raising our seed round and excited to find some investors that are, are passionate about what we're building and, and believe in our growth. And it's a tough market. It's it's hard out there. And we always hear that, but we don't want to let that discourage us because like I was mentioning earlier, that first raise, we barely had traction. We were just starting out. It was pre-seed, which is normal for a pre-seed round. And so we want to level set that expectations. Like this is our seed round and we have the traction and the, and the metrics and the future growth to be able to do that. And I think one, we need to believe that in ourselves and have that confidence. And I think being a small team and being a founder, you're your own hardest critic sometimes. And so I think 
the biggest work is like building up your own confidence personally as a founder to know that you're going into this and saying like, okay, it's a privileged and an exciting opportunity to be able to invest in this business rather than someone like doing you a favor. And I think there's a healthy like ego balance that happens there. But so much, so many times I feel like investors and view and female founders and view it as like the investor is saving them or investing them in like a charitable way. And we want to get out of that mindset as female founders. Like we yeah, are, we deserve it business to be investing in. Like you're helping to ideally get, create them more money in the long run. Like how amazing yeah, is that? Absolutely. The mindset I take is, uh, you know, I wouldn't take an investor conversation if I didn't think I was giving them an incredible opportunity to become an investor in Mount, because not everyone I say yes to, uh, and I let them know that. I'm like, look, every round we've ever raised has been double oversubscribed. You know, I took this meeting as an opportunity for you. I gave it to you. Don't squander it and don't be asking me dumb questions like, why would Airbnb do this? Because I will end the meeting right there. <laughs> like, come and mm -hmm. educated and really act like you are given an opportunity because I'd say if you don't take the mindset, and this is just a fact that money is out there, like the first time you raise, it's hard to feel that, but there's yeah. an excess of money. <laughs> like there are not enough founders for how much money is out there. And so, you know, taking the money, you should be pretty uh, strategic with, I guess, who you let invest um, and make them feel very honored. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I think that's such a good mindset too. And it just makes it more meaningful. Like they end up caring a lot more about what you're building and then hopefully are helpful investors along the way. Absolutely. And Katie, uh, along those lines as, t as well, I have uh, a few investors off the top of my head I'd love to introduce you to because I think they'd be a phenomenal fit. Uh, Would love one that. I think is the the next door neighbor to like the the CEO or someone of CBS. So I feel like it's a good fit. <laughs> oh my gosh. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Would love that. This is my yeah, favorite. We'll connect offline about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I feel like when I was raising my pre-seed round, all of my intros from a lot of our investors were like warm introductions from my other founder friends um, and specifically other female founders, like lifting each other up. And because we have to, like, we're all kind of on the same team in this. And it's like, I think building up the founder network is so crucial to one, like survive mentally in this space, but also to be able to, to fundraise. So thank you. I'm excited. Absolutely. I mean, my personal mission in life is to really get the balance of the workforce 50 50 like i want 50 percent of the ceos out there to be women maybe more like we could even flip it that yeah. way uh but i'm a big believer like there are not enough female founders and we have an uphill battle whether you want to believe it or not you know it, it is out there we do face adversity and so you know i've grown my investor network over the last five years it was a lot of grit and hard work and it blood sweat and tears literally but uh right. now that i have it I want to leverage it for every other female founder out there. So whatever I can do to help, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. The give back community in the founder space is, is truly, I think, one of a kind because it it is like building something really special. And I agree. I would love to see more, more women in, in CEO positions, more female founders. And we're, we're so good at building businesses for so many that reasons. we are. <laughs> Especially <laughs> these these disruptive ones where the, the previous companies have been built by men, but why yes. it, it's not a problem they've ever had <laughs> exactly exactly uh, it's awesome i love that well we're close to the end of the show so would love to know this is what i ask everyone at the end 
What is your one piece of advice for our listeners out there that uh, are wanting to get started or are started and just need some some help along the way? Ooh, I love this question. Okay, I have two pieces of advice. One, if you haven't started, why are you waiting? Just start. That's honestly the hardest part is the mental hurdle. It is going to be whatever you launch first, whatever you create first, you should be embarrassed by it. And I can proudly say I can look back at the first thing we ever created or shipped out and ever launched to our pre-order customers. And I'm like, what was that? Like, that is so embarrassing to looking at the packaging, the way we shipped it out. Like, none of it is at nearly the part is today. But I had to do those things wrong in the beginning to learn how to do them correctly and how to improve it. So just start and iterate. The second piece of advice, if you have started and you're starting to feel those those hurdles, is that you have to be your own biggest champion at first and you have to be holding your own torch first before anybody else can be cheering you on. And don't feel too embarrassed by that. Like you have to be your biggest cheerleader in the beginning for anyone else to care and anyone else to feel that excitement. Um, and so think big, feel be really proud of yourself and know that you're creating something and then that does have such a strong ripple effect and other people feel that energy from you. Absolutely. I think that couldn't have been said any better. That was amazing advice. So listeners out there, get started tomorrow. You know, yeah. <laughs> why are you waiting? It's a common theme, actually. I think everyone with their piece of advice has said so far that you should just start. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Katie, thank you so much. We're going to leave basically all of your info in the show notes so people awesome. can find you. They can find Viv. Uh, is there any other way you want people to get in touch with you? Um, follow us on TikTok and join our email list. We love having that community um, right there. But if you all ever have questions, you know where to find us. We do a lot of like behind the scenes content on our Instagram. So if you want to learn more about what it's like building Viv every day, you can follow us there. Awesome. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. You were an awesome guest. And until next time. Thanks, Maddie.